Hi, welcome to Bookie, which unlock big ideas from world bestsellers in audio, text, and mind map. Please download Bookie at Apple Store or Google Play with more features, get your free mind snack now. Today we will unlock the book Embracing Defeat, Japan in the Wake of World War II. When one thinks of Japan in the post-World War II era, the first thing that comes to mind is probably Japan's once rapid economic growth. However, this is only a small part of the history of post-World War II Japan. There are historical facts that may be overlooked. For example, what kind of life did ordinary Japanese people lead following the devastation inflicted upon them by U.S. air raids and atomic strikes? What was the mindset of Japanese society after defeat? How did the Japanese emperor, who was the one primarily responsible for the war, escape punishment? Were Japanese war criminals really punished? How did Japanese people view their part in the war, and did they really repent? This book provides answers to these questions. This book focuses on the history of the American occupation of Japan after World War II. Technically speaking, Japan was occupied by the Allies in the period of August, 1945 to April, 1952. In reality, the United States was the only one of the Allied powers to make decisions on all matters related to the occupation. Douglas MacArthur, then Supreme Commander of the Allied Forces in Japan, led a team that was almost exclusively American, except for a few British-Australian coalition troops. He was the man who wielded ultimate power. This book is about the history of the rule of Japan by these American soldiers. It is often said that history is written by the victors. However, unlike most studies of Japan's post-war history, this book looks at the world through the eyes of the defeated, restoring the voices of people from all levels of Japanese society. The author of this book utilizes a large number of detailed historical sources which, together, provide an invaluable key to understanding the complex socio-political reality of post-war Japan. Next, we will discuss, in three parts, the contents of the book. Part 1. What was the socio-economic and cultural situation in Japan after its defeat in the Second World War? Part 2. What kind of democracy did the United States introduce in Japan? Part 3. How were Japanese war criminals treated and the dead mourned? Part 1. What was the socio-economic and cultural situation in Japan after its defeat in the Second World War? Before Japan's surrender, the Allies, led by the United States, launched many devastating attacks, culminating in the dropping of two atomic bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, respectively. According to U.S. estimates, these strikes destroyed about one-third of Japan's wealth, and the standard of living in the countryside fell to about 65% of its pre-war level while in the towns it fell to 35%. The vast majority of the Japanese population at that time had lost members of their families and were living in hardship. According to some statistics, 66 major cities in Japan were severely bombed, and close to 9 million people were left homeless. During the Battle of Okinawa, about one-third of the local population was killed, and 160,000 Okinawans retreated to the main islands of Japan as refugees. Many families were crammed into small shabby huts, while some were forced to sleep on the streets. Even more horrific was the spread of diseases such as cholera, 
typhoid fever, epidemic meningitis, and tuberculosis, a product of the filthy and chaotic post-war environment. These ultimately killed more than 500,000 people between 1945 and 1948 alone. From a historical perspective, Japan's post-war economic recovery was extremely rapid, but for the people at the time, recovery was long and painful. There may be no better example of the hardships suffered than a letter written by a laborer to the Japanese newspaper Asahi Shimbun. The writer said he intended to commit suicide because he could not support his wife and children or afford the high prices on the black market. He wanted to die in a denouncement of the incompetence and heartlessness of the government. However, the author notes that these people were lucky to at least be in their own country. Following Japan's defeat, the most miserable were those Japanese who were stranded overseas. According to statistics, six and a half million Japanese subjects were stranded in Asia, Siberia, and the Pacific. Three million of these were civilians, including women and children. For these people, the surrender of Japan was the beginning of a cruel fate as they fell victim to post-war chaos and epidemics, with hundreds of thousands dying from the cold in winter or from infectious diseases. In addition, a large number of Japanese troops became prisoners of war, POWs, and most of these prisoners were used as laborers. In late 1946, the United States detained nearly 70,000 Japanese POWs. The British Army also detained a large number of Japanese soldiers for building and construction in Southeast Asian countries. Of all the Allied powers, the Soviets held Japanese POWs the longest and mistreated them the worst. Eventually, some of these people returned to Japan. What was the fate of those soldiers who survived the war and returned to Japan after all their trials? Most of them found that their hometowns had been leveled to the ground by the war, and they could no longer find their families. Even worse, they were treated as exiles and lived in hardship. For them, the Japan, which they had always thought of as their home, had become a cold, unfriendly place. Those who were discriminated against included not only the returning soldiers, but also more than 120,000 war orphans, and countless survivors of the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Without aid or assistance, they had to shine shoes, sell newspapers, steal wallets, illegally sell food ration coupons, or beg for a living. This phenomenon of discrimination led to discussion and debate among intellectuals. Among them, the Japanese writer Osaraji Jiro thought that Japan, as a country, lacked love toward strangers and that the Japanese were shallower than others when it came to love. After learning about the general misery endured by the Japanese population following their defeat in the war, we will take a look at how the Japanese government and army responded. According to the author, Japanese officials were corrupt, leading directly to the rapid expansion of the black market. For the Japanese, the tensions of war had dragged on for 15 years. Long before the attack on Pearl Harbor, there were food shortages in some parts of Japan. After Japan surrendered, it lost the overseas territories it had previously occupied, which meant that resources and markets essential for economic growth were also gone. With the disruption of diplomatic relations and overseas trade, Japan's economy was thrown into chaos. In 1945, Japan suffered its biggest drought since 1910. This was brought about not only by climate, 
but manpower and tool shortages, as well as reduced fertilizer production. Food shortages became Japan's biggest problem during this period. While the masses were struggling with food and other shortages, widespread corruption had infected the government and armed forces. After Japan's surrender, Prime Minister Suzuki Kantaro's administration had handed over all military supplies to the local army commanders. However, no one knew where these supplies ended up. Also, some banks had provided large loans to former war suppliers under the guise of promoting military-to-civilian adjustments and transition to peaceful production. In reality, this was an opportunity for powerful people to steal money from the military budget or the Bank of Japan. It is estimated that within two weeks of the Emperor of Japan's declaration of surrender, approximately 70% of the army and navy inventory had been looted. That was not all. In the months following Japan's surrender, the U.S. military handed over most of its well-maintained munitions to the Japanese government with instructions to use the supplies for public welfare and economic reconstruction. However, the Japanese Home Ministry entrusted the munitions to representatives of five major financial corporations, and the supplies, totaling 100 billion yen, quickly disappeared, no one knew where they went. It was possible that they entered the pocket of the military leaders or were sent directly to the black market for sale. These powerful men, who benefited from the plundering of goods, strutted around the black market, celebrating Japan's economic chaos. At the most critical moment in Japan's history, very few civil and military officials cared about the welfare of the public, and there were no benevolent, heroic, or praiseworthy politicians that emerged among the elite. Now that we understand the hardship endured by the Japanese people and the corruption of their leaders following the defeat, let's take a look at the cultural situation in Japan during this period. Japan's defeat stirred up the public's suspicion and rage toward their government. Before defeat, the Japanese regarded the war as a holy war under the leadership of the emperor. After the defeat, they found that they had been deceived and began to regard themselves as victims. The poverty created as a result of the government's incompetence radicalized certain groups among the working class. In this atmosphere, a dispirited, anti-mainstream culture of defeat came to the fore. There were three socially marginalized groups that ultimately made a considerable impact on society. The first group was called Pan Pan, which referred to prostitutes who serviced American soldiers. Initially, to satisfy the sexual needs of the occupation forces and prevent them from targeting civilians, Japanese officials recruited a number of volunteer comfort women. However, this public form of prostitution was banned after a few months due to many occupation soldiers contracting venereal disease. Subsequently, the Japanese Home Ministry designated special red-light districts in which prostitution was permitted. Since then, Panpan has become an inseparable part of the memory of post-war Japan. A survey of Panpan found that while some had been forced into the trade due to poverty, many chose it of their own accord. In their relationships with American soldiers, they received sexual pleasure and enjoyed an extremely comfortable life in a post-war environment of extreme material deprivation. They became a symbol of a hedonistic, materialistic American-style consumer culture during the westernization of post-war Japan. Then there were the black market dealers. For many Japanese people, the black market was the real economy. However, 
a large number of transactions in the black market were illegal, and the Yakuza crime syndicate played an important role in organizing and managing them. It was a world where the weak succumbed to the strong and the dealers ruthlessly cheated their fellow countrymen. Nevertheless, in addition to greed and cruelty, the black market also exhibited bold and fearless vitality. The black market dealers favored three types of clothing, Hawaiian shirts, nylon belts, and rubber-soled shoes. This style was a mocking parody of the three regalia owned by the Japanese emperor, the imperial mirror, sword, and jade. It reflected the spirit of rebellion among the Japanese underclass. The third fringe group was called the Kasatori culture. The term Kasatori is derived from the poor quality shochu, or wine, that Japanese people drink. Examples of Kasatori culture were underclass people who were often drunk, enjoyed vulgar magazines, indulged in excessive sex, and generally expressed anti-establishment, anti-mainstream attitudes. At the same time, the general public also mocked the defeat. For example, Japanese military uniforms were called defeat suits, military boots were called defeat shoes, and Japanese brass pipes were called defeat pipes. This cynicism helped the Japanese to alleviate the pain and shame of defeat, but also showed that nothing was sacred in their minds anymore. Now we've discussed the cultural attitudes of the general public in Japan after the defeat. But what perspectives did intellectuals have towards the war? Upon learning of the atrocities committed by the Japanese military in Asia, many people expressed shock and disgust. After reading reports of the Nanjing massacre, one writer wrote, in every bit of food we ate, every piece of clothing we wore, a drop of the Chinese people's blood had seeped in. This is our people's crime, and responsibility must be borne by the people as a whole. After seeing photos of the rape of Manila, the mother of a soldier who fought in the war wrote to the newspaper, even if such an atrocious soldier were my son, I could not accept him back home. Let him be shot to death there. Some of the demobilized soldiers also publicly expressed remorse for their crimes. Before defeat, most Japanese intellectuals supported the war. After defeat, intellectuals showed a sense of collective repentance. For example, the Japanese writer Tanabe Hajime admitted he was guilty of failing to oppose the war and wrote the book, Philosophy as a Way of Repentance. A female reformer named Hani Setsuko speculated that atrocities against civilians revealed the low position of women in Japanese male psychology as well as the general disregard held towards other people's children. According to an editorial in the Japanese newspaper Asahi Shimbun, this was a social pathology that reflected not only national arrogance, but also fundamental flaws in education and morality, perhaps even the absence of core religious beliefs that led to a lack of moral behavior. However, as the Cold War intensified, U.S. occupation forces began to view communist China as a threat. They, therefore, tried hard to prevent reports of Japanese atrocities from spreading and cracked down on left-wing activists within Japan. As a result, awareness of and repentance for war atrocities lapsed. The vast majority of Japanese people felt they were the victims of the war, but the question of whether they were also the perpetrators had never been widely discussed and given due attention. We have come to the end of part one. After Japan's defeat, many families were made homeless, and life was difficult. The Japanese government and military fostered corruption, 
and black market trading was rampant. In the midst of this chaos, a dispirited, anti-mainstream culture of defeat arose. As the atrocities committed by the Japanese military in Asia were reported, the Japanese public and intellectuals showed a collective repentance. However, as the Cold War intensified and U.S. occupation forces began to regard China as an enemy, they tried their best to prevent the media from reporting on the atrocities committed by the Japanese army. This hindered the Japanese from recognizing their responsibility for the war and repenting of their war crimes. Today we are just sharing limited content. To unlock more key insights of world-class bestseller please download our app. Just search for Buki at Apple Store or Google Play, get your free mind snack now.